0: The reading tonight is taken from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross.
1: Thanks, Emily. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for its relevance. Thank you that you know everything about every single one of us in this place tonight. And we pray that we would simply hear your voice speaking to us. Wherever we are with regard to faith, whether we've been a Christian for years or whether we're still not sure about this person of Jesus in this church thing, whether this is all new to us or whether we've been here for donkey's years, then, Father, would you speak freshness and life into our hearts and minds tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as Paul mentioned, uh, this is called Vision Day, and this is the time once or twice a year when we just take a step back to remind ourselves who we are as a church and why we do what we do. And uh, it may well be that you're new to P's and G's. It may be that you're still checking us out. It may be, as I said in my prayer, that you've been here for years. But we are conscious of lots of people who are joining P's and G's at the moment. And hopefully this will help you to understand what you're committing yourself to and what you are joining. And if you haven't come across our strategy uh, before, then there's this document, and there are hard copies in the foyer as you leave, and it's also on the website, as Paul said. And uh, what we've been doing over the past few weeks is thinking about what God might want us to do and be over the next 12 months. And as we think about that, we can't really just ignore where we are and what we've been through. Last Saturday, I was having a conversation with somebody who doesn't go to church, and we were chatting about life and about work. I was finding out a bit about him, and he's got an amazing job where he's overseeing 10 sports for the Paris Olympics in three years' time. And three days a week, he he works in Paris and then comes back the rest of the week to, to be with his family. Um, I did try and get some free tickets. He said, you are about the thousandth person who has asked for a free ticket for one of my 10 sports. Well, we chatted about how his life had been and his work had been uh, during the pandemic and during lockdown, how his pattern and rhythm of work and life had changed so much. And then after about 10 minutes talking about him, he said, well, how's it been for you? How has the pandemic, how has lockdown affected the church? And I said, well, it's, it's sort of good and bad, really. A crisis, it's been said, does three things. It accentuates what's already there, it reveals what's already there, and it accelerates what's already there. And what we've gone through over the last 12 or 18 months is definitely a crisis in society, in culture, but also, if we're honest, in the church. And what's happened is that what was there has been revealed but what was there has also been accentuated, and what was there has also been accelerated. So the picture in some churches is that the decline that we have known and suspected was there for decades has been revealed to everybody. It's also been accentuated, and it's been accelerated. One person said to me a year ago that the church in her local community, she put it like this. She said, it has sunk without trace very sad. But her church, or the church where she was living, had done nothing. No services, no outreach, no community action, nothing at all. Not being able to meet in the building on a Sunday meant that it had ceased to exist. It was a dead church." And that's happened across churches in Scotland. And as I was chatting with this guy, Richard, I said, you know, just like there are businesses that won't come back, there are names on the high street that we will never see again. Well, in the same way, there are charities that won't come back from the pandemic. And sadly, there are churches that won't come back from the pandemic as well. And yet at the same time, it's a time of opportunity. Thousands of people around the world have done this thing called the Alpha Course online. Nikki Gumbel, who founded the Alpha course nearly 30 years ago, he was dead against doing the Alpha course online. He said it has to be done in person, face to face. Six months into the lockdown, he said, I've been completely wrong. And thousands, thousands of people have done the Alpha course around the world from the privacy of their own home. They've stayed on the course because they haven't had to go anywhere. They've been committed to the course. They've been more open and more vulnerable in the course earlier on because they're in the privacy of their own home. So thousands of people around the world have done Alpha. We've seen about 60 people make professions of faith towards Jesus through doing Alpha online in the last 12 or 18 months. So it's sort of both, it swings and roundabouts. It's revealed the decline that was already there, but it's also given us incredible opportunities and ways of doing things differently. Now, the lockdown will have affected all of us here this evening in different ways. I wonder if you were to try and think of one word that would sum up to describe the last 18 months. I wonder if you can think of one word. I know it's difficult because it's quite a complex thing and maybe lots of words are coming into your mind. But if there was one word that you could describe the last 12 or 18 months, the different lockdowns, COVID, all the stuff that we've lived through over the last 12 or 18 months, I wonder what it would be. It's quite hard at the moment, if I'm honest, to read the room because I can only see your eyes. I can't see the whole of your face. I realize I don't know about you, but time and time again, I find myself in a situation looking at somebody and smiling at them, and they look at me as though I'm a mass murderer, because they cannot see the rest of my face. And so I'm looking at them, and in my mind and in my face, I'm smiling, but all they can see are my eyes. And over the summer, we came up with a way of helping people to participate and find out in some of our all-in services that we'd like to use. And it's called Slido. And if you've got a phone, uh, a smartphone, this is the time to take it out. And if you point uh, your phone and the camera at the QR code or go to slido.com and do hashtag 666. Who chose that for a church? 666 <laughs> Then you can put the one word to describe the last 12 or 18 months. And the word that you put will appear on on the screen, and I would love to read those words out. So you just start to put, it's anonymous, we don't know who's going to put what. Focus, exhausting, chaos, messy, overwhelming, turbulent, unpredictability, shattering, muted, unity, lonely, grounded, unplanned, grind, busy, change, eventful, surprising, reckoning, shattering, tough, all sorts of different words, different reactions and different emotions that people have when they think about the last 12 or 18 months. And then I want you to think of another question. Think of how you would describe or react to what you have observed in the church in the last 18 months. Now, when I say church, I don't mean the building. One word that we could all use for churches over the last 12 or 18 months is either shut or empty because we haven't been allowed to meet. But the church is not the building. The church is the people. For many people over the last 12 or 18 months, their connect group that Ailey was talking about with Paul has been church to them. And I'm not talking about the clergy or about the staff, because the Bible says that we are the church. We together are living stones. So as you think about church, what would you say of the church or how church has been for you in the last 18 months? And if you go back to Slido… And if you put hashtag six 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 one zero, there again is that question: What one word would you use to describe the church in the last eighteen months? Family, confused, hope giving, sustaining, professional, silent, revealing, fragile, reinvigorated, adapting, essential, welcoming, community, difficult, new, hopeful, resilient, life saving, constant home, more distant, innovative, sustaining, okay, missing. We recognize that for many, many people it's been a tough time. I have so missed over the last 12 or 18 months those times when we weren't able to meet together as a church family. And we have done our best as a staff and as a clergy team to to try and respond to the different needs, but genuinely I want to say if you feel let down by the clergy, by me, by the staff, then genuinely I want to say sorry. We really are sorry if you feel let down. If you feel that when you saw the word lost or distant, that has described how you felt towards this church, then genuinely I want to apologize and say sorry because we know that it's been hard and we know that it's been tough. But one of the things that's also been revealed, and we'll come on to this later, is the realization that the first person and perhaps the most important person who is responsible for our relationship with God is in fact ourselves. And that when everything else was taken away, what was revealed and accentuated and accelerated was the condition of our relationship with God, was the state of our friendship with Jesus. And like you, perhaps, I found it really difficult when some of those props, like church, like worship, music, corporate singing, were taken away. But what was revealed is, well, who am I before Jesus when it's just me? And that was revealed and that was accentuated, and that was accelerated. Different people have had different responses when they've tried to describe how the church has been over the last 12 or 18 months. Jason Leach is the National Clinical Director for Scotland. We got used to seeing his face a lot on television um, uh, during the pandemic, and he said this on a Zoom call. He said, the church in Scotland has played a blinder. That was 12 months into the lockdown, six months ago. He said the church in Scotland has played a blinder. Across the UK, different churches did respond in quite amazing ways. Within the first nine months, churches, and they weren't the only faith communities and they weren't the only groups doing it, but churches alone delivered over five million meals to people in their homes in the first nine months. Now I know that that's carried on and now it is well over 10 million meals that have been delivered by churches across the UK. That's not ministries and areas that like what we do on a Saturday with our Saturday meal ministry where people come to us. This was churches and volunteers from churches taking meals out to people who were locked in and locked down. And it's been noted by politicians. Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, said this, he said, I notice, I've been struck by how in this difficult time for our country, people have sought solace and hope in faith. It's been wonderful to see how churches have adapted to meet, meet the needs of our communities, with countless examples of them stepping in. The Conservative Cabinet Minister, Michael Gove, he said this, the church has been there for all of us. It's been burying our dead, it's been comforting the bereaved, it's been feeding the poor, and it's been praying for the nation. The Evangelical Alliance in Scotland collated stories from about a hundred churches in Scotland and put it all together in a report called Stories of Hope, and they sent that report, Stories of Hope, to every member of the Scottish Parliament in May that said, this is what the church in Scotland has been doing to serve our local communities. And so, as we think about ourselves here at P's and G's, what do we think God is saying to us for who we should, what we should be, and what we should do over the next year or so? Well, the strategy that we came up with uh, four or five, well, three years ago now, was called Stretch 25. And the idea was that we sense God saying to us that it should be something that stretches us and it should take us through to 2025. And we're convinced that the vision that God gave us at that point shouldn't change. Um, The vision that we have as a church is that we should be a church that makes whole life disciples, sharing the whole of the gospel with the whole of society through churches of grace. And for those of you who are new to P's and G's, just a very quick insight into how we came up with those words, because each phrase was actually quite important and quite significant. But the way it happened was quite unusual. We'd, we'd been meeting as a, a small strategy group for about four or five months, and we were struggling to sort of sum up what we sense God saying to us. And then it's the only time that it's happened in my life. I've heard. God speak to me in an audible voice two or three times, but this is the only time where I've seen words. And if you're familiar with the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, there's a a time where words appear on a wall, mene mene tekel parsin, which basically are words of doom and destruction for the king that effectively say, you're going to die. Well, thankfully, the words that I saw didn't say that. Um, But uh, in the upper hall, on a white wall, these words appeared in my mind's eye. And I picked up a, a marker pen and walked over to a flip chart and said, I wonder if it might be something like this, and wrote those words, makes whole life disciples, sharing the whole of the gospel with the whole of society through churches of grace. And everyone on the strategy group went, yeah, that sort of sums it up. And that's why we adopted that vision statement. And in the vision statement, we then have four strands, and again, we don't think those strands have changed. We want to see changed lives. We want people to come to know Jesus, and then as the Spirit of God works in people, we want to see them becoming more and more like Jesus. And as we see individual lives changed, then we want to see society transformed, and we want to have an effect in our city. We want to have an effect on our culture. We want to have an effect in our nation. And that happens as we deepen our influence of the kingdom of God as you, wherever God has placed you Monday through to Saturday or sometimes Sunday, wherever you work, wherever you study, whether you're in an office or a hospital or a classroom or a seminar room or a university flat or wherever you may be, you live as Christians with salt and light to flavor the lives of the people around you. And you are, Paul says, the aroma of Christ, that they can smell Jesus in you and through your lives as the person of Jesus, as the Spirit of Jesus works in your life, as the fruit of the Spirit is seen in your life. And then fourthly and finally, we believe that God is calling us to plant more churches like P's and G's across Scotland in different places over the next four, five years 10 years, so that other people in different parts of Scotland may be able to come to know Jesus through a church like P's and G's. But as we thought about the next 12 months or so, there are some specifics that we think need to take priority. The first one has taken us by surprise, if we're honest. Eighteen months ago, when we talked about planting churches, We had in our minds the idea of a place, so it might be a city, it might be a town, it might be a building, where we would plant a church. What we've begun this week is planting a congregation online. Now, 12 or 18 months ago, we'd have never have thought of that, but for some reason, and we can't really understand it because we don't think we're that good, What we've put out over the last 18 months online has been accessible, not just for people who are Christians, but for people who are de-church, people who used to go to church, and people who've never been to church. And what we want to do between now and Christmas is have some pilot weeks, and we want to take into account that there are about a third of the church so far who, for differing reasons, are either unwilling or unable because of their job or because of their health status or because of their age or, understandably, because of their anxiety, they're unwilling or unable to come back to physical services at the moment. And so we want to serve them between now and Christmas. But certainly from January onwards, we will then tweak it, and increasingly the content that we're putting out in P's and G's online will be aimed at people who are not yet Christians. We would never have thought of this 12 or 18 months ago. So this is one implication and one change that the pandemic and the learning from the pandemic has had upon our strategy. The second thing we want to respond to is that we're so aware at the moment that the consequences of the pandemic, one of them, has been just a huge, huge rise in people struggling with issues around mental health. So we want to address that seriously, we want to focus on that and think, how do we as a church help people build emotional resilience? How do we as a church help people in their relationships? How do we as a church equip people so that they can manage any issues or struggles that all of us from time to time will have with our mental health? So, we talked about having a wellness or a wholeness or a well-being center that encompasses our counseling service, but also builds on our Saturday meal ministry. And our hope is that over the next 12, 18 months or so, we will construct rent, maybe, maybe not, a building or somewhere, or maybe it'll be virtual, we don't know, but a wellness, whole being, wellness thing center where we can offer different ways for different people, some of whom won't be yet Christians, to access services and courses that will help them address issues around mental health, emotional resilience, and relationship breakdown. Thirdly, we want to respond, to continue to respond, to the needs of people who are increasingly coming to Edinburgh as refugees. There are 25 families at the moment living in a hotel at the airport who have recently come in the last four weeks from Afghanistan, and we want to play our part together with other churches and Edinburgh City Mission to know how to respond and to serve them to make them feel welcome. Sometimes when we think about refugees we, we forget that quite often they are people just like us, that in Afghanistan they had jobs just like yours. They were teachers. They were doctors. They were cleaners. They were business people. And through no fault of their own, they've now been ripped out of a place that they called home with their families and plonked in a country thousands of miles away from home in a culture that's very alien. It's reckoned that there are about 250,000 people who are going to come to the U.K. over the next few years from Hong Kong as China imposes its will more and more upon Hong Kong, and they are legally able to come to the U.K., and again, with other churches and charities, we want to play our part in welcoming them to Edinburgh and into Scotland. And Barry and Connor Snowden are going to be heading that up over the next few years. And if you want to volunteer in helping uh, seek to help to respond to the needs of refugees, uh, be in contact with the office. And uh, we'd love to put you in contact with Connor and Barry Snowden. We'll also think about how we can respond and play our part in caring for creation uh, around COP as it it comes to Glasgow next month. We'll be thinking about ways that we can pray and and do things and live lives that are different and that are environmentally friendly. Uh, We'll be thinking more and more, and this is something that we recognize particularly at this service, but something that's happened uh, during and since the lockdown is that something is happening in people in their 20s unusual numbers of people in their 20s are coming to churches in the UK like P's and G's. Something is happening or has happened during lockdown that is, is helping or causing people in their 20s, and it's not just students, it's people in their 20s to think differently about faith and to, dis, to, to begin to consider who Jesus might be and and what's going on in their lives. There was a survey released uh, last week that showed that uh, people under the age of 25 were far more likely to have prayed during lockdown than people over the age of 55. People under the age of 25 were far more likely to have prayed for Boris Johnson than people over the age of 55, because those of us over the age of 55 are probably quite cynical and think Boris is beyond prayer. (laughs) But something is happening in the lives of people in their 20s. They're discovering faith, they're asking questions about faith in a new way. So how is all this going to happen? Well, it happens through going back to those verses that Emily read for us about 15 minutes ago. And I want to focus just on two verses, on verses 6 and 7, where Paul, writing to this church in a place called Colossae, says this, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And Paul uses four metaphors or pictures for what he wants to communicate to this church. It's a church that he'd never been to. He didn't begin this church in Colossae. He didn't plant this church. It was a colleague of his called Epaphras. And Paul is writing to this church from prison in Rome. And this place called Colossae, which is now in modern-day Turkey, is perhaps the most insignificant place that Paul had ever written a letter to. There's a place just down the road from Colossae called Laodicea, and that gets the letter in the book of Revelation rather than Colossae, because Laodicea had had become the place in that region. All the trade had gone to Laodicea, and Colossae had just sort of become a bit well, it had become a bit sad, really, and quite small and insignificant. At the time that Paul was writing, it was known for one thing, the dye that was produced in this place called Colossae. And if you went to a, a Dulux... Uh, color chart, or if you're posh, pharaoh and ball paint chart, you would ask for the Colossian blue, and that was the only thing that Colossi was known for, this deep blue that you would then use uh, perhaps on your walls or in clothes. It was Colossian blue. But Paul says, I want you to continue. I want you to go on walking in the faith just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, and the word that he used for receive, it's a technical term. Um, Other people were coming, people who were Jewish Christians, and they were saying, you need to be circumcised, you need to keep all the Jewish laws, the Jewish rituals, the Jewish holidays. That's why Paul says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells, and in Christ, you have been filled with all the fullness, i.e. you don't need to do anything more. You don't need to add to the person of Jesus. What he has done on the cross is sufficient for your salvation, for your forgiveness. He died, and he rose again, and it's complete. And he uses this technical phrase. He says, just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, and, and the Greek word that's, that's used is a, a, it's called paralambano, and it sounds like a dance from Strictly, but it isn't. It, it's a sort of technical phrase, and it means to receive something solemnly with tradition, and there's a weightiness about it. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul, when he's teaching the church about communion, says, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. And it's the same phrase. He's saying, I've received something as in, in tradition. I've received it solemnly, and I've taken the full implication and weight of Jesus as Lord and Messiah as King, and I've passed that on to you. And he's saying, I want you to continue in that. Don't add to it. Don't subscribe to it. Don't take away from it but I want you to continue in that. And the way that you're going to continue in that is by doing these four things. Firstly, he says, I want you to be rooted in him, rooted in him. Now, maybe during the lockdowns, one of the things that has surfaced for you is that actually your roots aren't very deep or not deep enough. And Paul says to this church, I want you to be rooted. If you're going to continue in the life that God wants you to live, if you're going to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you have to be rooted in him. The second picture that he uses is not just rooted, but built up in him. And it's this picture of of bricks and mortar. And we are the living stones, Peter says elsewhere in the New Testament. But Paul says, I want you to be built up in Him. I want you to be built up. So, rooted and built. And then he uses the third picture. Strengthened is, is the translation that we have, but it, it actually means something a bit more than that. It, it's the sort of sense of when a, when a judge brings down a gavel in a, in a, a trial to pronounce a verdict… And it's the idea of a contract being sealed. It's the idea of a verdict being pronounced. It's the idea of an agreement being made. It's the idea of a deal being sealed and complete. And Paul says, I want you to be rooted in Christ. I want you to be built up in Christ, and I want you to seal the deal because the verdict has already been passed, and I want you to be strengthened in Him. And finally, he says, if these three things are true, I want you to be overflowing with thankfulness, overflowing with thankfulness. Now, at the moment, I don't know about you, but I'm of the opinion that we live in a society where the world, the culture that we live in, needs kindness. But wouldn't it be amazing if the characteristic that the church was known for was overflowing with thankfulness? Now, if I'm honest, if you took a video of my life over the last 12 or 18 months, I'm not sure that someone would say, ah, Dave, yes, overflowing with thankfulness. When Boris announced that first lockdown or Nicola announced that latest restriction, I'm not sure overflowing with thankfulness was a description that would fit me. But that's what Paul says you and I should be. But you can only overflow with something… If you're filled with it. You can't overflow with something if you're not filled. So Paul says, I want you to be built up in him. I want you to be rooted in him. I want you to be strengthened, to seal the deal, to, to, to hold to that verdict. And I want you to be overflowing with thankfulness. And if you do these four things, then you'll grow in your relationship with Christ. And at the end of the day, If we don't do these four things, then all this is just words written on a card, and it means diddly squat. Because these four things are far more important. Our relationship with Jesus are far more important. And my challenge for you and for myself is how are you doing in those four areas? In what's called discipleship, which is why we bang on about whole life discipleship, about the idea that every single area of every single part of each of our lives is fully given over to Jesus. Whether we're in the office, whether we're in the gym, whether on the sports field, whether we're in the pub, wherever we are, all matters to Jesus. And we can be the people that God wants us to be if we are rooted, if we are built up, if we're strengthened, and if we then are overflowing with thankfulness. But we can only do that if we're filled, because you cannot be overflowing if you're not filled. So if you're able, would you stand? And we're going to begin to respond in prayer. And as we stand, let's pray together. Maybe you can think about that one word to describe how you have felt over the last 12 or 18 months. And maybe, too, you think about how you've perceived church to be over the last 12 or 18 months. And as we've talked and listened over the last half an hour, you've recognized that something needs to change. Here's an opportunity for a reset to go deeper in your roots to to be built up in Christ more, to to be strengthened and sealed in your decision for Jesus, to, to ask to be filled with thankfulness of what Jesus has done for you and what he means to you. So, Father, we're just making ourselves in the next few moments just available again to you. We're recognizing who we are, but most importantly, we're recognizing who you are. We want to say thank you for all that you have done through Jesus. That in Jesus, all the fullness of the deity dwells, but also that in Jesus, we are full. We can do nothing else to add to what happened on the cross, to the death and resurrection of Jesus. And thank you that he's now risen and ascended, and that you are able to to give the spirit of Jesus to people who ask. And you're able to fill us tonight with your power and your love and your strength and your comfort and your peace and your hope. Lord, some of us tonight are weary. Some of us tonight are exhausted. That was one of the words that went up on the screen as to how we're feeling after the last 18 months. Some of us are tired. Some of us are on the end edge of just giving up. But others of us are desperately thirsty for you. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, for you to come. We're asking, Holy Spirit, for you to move in our hearts and minds, that whatever you have for us individually and collectively as a church, that above all, we might be rooted and built and strengthened and overflowing with thankfulness. Whatever else we are and whatever else we do, Holy Spirit, please come and move amongst us now. In Jesus' name, amen.